It was truly a sad story. And I want to spend a moment with you. And I want to read to you one of the transcripts from one of the local newscasts as they reported the story. It said this, A sad death in New York City. Surveillance cameras in a city-run psychiatric hospital, emergency room in Brooklyn, capture a woman falling from a chair, writhing on the floor and dying. Hospital staff and other patients watch and do nothing for over an hour. One guard doesn't even leave his chair, rowing it around the corner to stare at the body. The New York Civil Liberties Union sued the facility, Kings County Hospital Center, last year over the way it treats psychiatric patients. The city's medical examiner has yet to determine why the woman, 49-year-old Esmond Green, died on June 20. She had been waiting in the emergency room for nearly 24 hours. Rob Cohen, an attorney, said, The reason this woman died the way she did is because there is a culture of indifference to patients that permeates every aspect of the hospital's psychiatric care. And then the transcript ends with these words, Surveillance video eventually shows a member of the medical staff attending to Green, but it is too late. She has already died. Now that's probably not the way you expected a sermon to begin this morning. It's a pretty morbid story, and hopefully it's a story that shocks us. We know that those in the medical profession are not perfect, but we also call it health care for a reason. We understand that the vast majority of those in that field really do have a heart, they really do care, at least they try to as much as they can. They, they, so many are involved with so many patients that maybe they can't show each one the individual care we might want or think that we deserve. But there is a heart there that really is there. There's one, there's one that wants to help. Those doctors and nurses and others in that profession, profession are there. And we even say they are caring for their patients. So why begin with such a morbid story this morning? It's because the church has so often been described as a hospital. A hospital for souls. The church is where those who have pains, those who have burdens, those who have struggles, those who have sins, are seeking help. They're seeking healing. But I sometimes wonder, do we ever have any Esmond Greens among us? Here's what I mean. I just wonder if there are some who have come here looking for help, looking for a burden to be lifted, coming to the place they think is the right place, and then feel, uh, are left feeling as if they're just fending for themselves. We're calling this morning's sermon, Help for the Burdened Soul. This morning what I want to do is to consider what we need to do if our souls are burdened. And if we're honest, every one of us is either there or has been there. Every one of us at some point in our life has had our soul absolutely burdened. And maybe we weren't sure where to turn. Maybe we did literally just wander into a church building or just happen to open the Scriptures. But the Bible tells us exactly what to do when our soul is burdened. This morning, I don't want you to think of anybody but yourself. I want you to consider your own soul. I want you to consider your own life. And if you feel burdened, I want to give you this morning what the Bible says to do if your soul is burdened. Number one, you need to admit sickness. Now, I know some of you, some of you could have malaria and say, I'm fine. Nothing wrong here. 
I'm good. I mean, some of you all could have life-threatening disease, and I'm okay. Don't, nobody needs to help me. I'm fine. Now, <clears throat> to be fair, some are on the other end of the spectrum. You scratch a fingernail and you're out for a month. You know, I, I'm not sure I can get up today. You know, but we're talking about those who just won't admit, though, when something is wrong. That, that something really is wrong with them. There is not a doctor in this world who can help someone who's not willing to admit that something is wrong. But we need to realize, spiritually speaking, I need to admit when something is wrong. I want you to go back to that scripture reading we read a few minutes ago that Connor read for us so well in Mark chapter 2. I want you to notice something that Jesus said in that context. He said something that is worded so simply, but it's very profound. It's in the last verse, Mark 2 and verse 17, where he said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Now we read that just by itself, and our first thought is, well, yeah, that only makes sense. Those who are well have no need of a physician, a doctor. But those who are sick are the ones who need that. But here's the thing, and consider the context. He was speaking to people who either were spiritually sick, they were spiritually sick and either didn't admit it or didn't know it. One or the other. In fact, if you look at the context that we read, notice again verse 16, that these words were directed to the scribes of the Pharisees. Now, was every scribe or was every Pharisee an absolute scoundrel? I don't think so. I don't think all of them were. But how often do we see, especially the Pharisees, but the scribes too, just lumped in together as those who thought they had it all together religiously, those who thought everything was fine, but Jesus kept telling them, it's not all fine. You are not doing what God would have you to do. And we see that over and over and over again throughout His ministry. That just shows how bankrupt their soul really was. That they were trying to stand up as the perfect specimens. And what Jesus was saying is in reality, you are sick. There's something wrong with your soul. In in reality, there's something wrong with your dedication. I want to read to you just a few words from Brother C.E.W. Doris as he was writing about this text. He said, If any were really righteous, as the scribes and Pharisees imagined they were, they did not need the healing power of Jesus. The fact that these publicans and sinners were notoriously depraved and wicked showed how sick they were and how much they were in need of the best physician. Now keep that in mind because we're going to come back to his quotation in a few minutes. Sometimes we need to be very, very careful. Yes, we need to live very holy lives. The Old Testament and the New Testament make that very, very clear. And I think most of us who are here this morning would say we're doing our best to strive to walk as close to God as we possibly can. But the Bible still makes it abundantly clear that no matter how close to God we try to walk, we are not going to do it perfectly. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 quotes the Old Testament in saying, There is none righteous, no, not one. Later on in that very same chapter, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, Paul would say that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And John would follow that up by reminding us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 7, and keep in mind he's writing to Christians, he said, if we, wait a minute, we as in not people way out there, not people who don't love God, not people who have turned away from God, if we who are Christians, if we say we have no sin, We deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Is there shame in sin? Yes. But listen to me very carefully. There is no shame 
in admitting when I have sinned. Can I say that again? Is there shame in sin? Yes. But there is no shame in admitting when I have sinned. In being willing to say, to use our terminology, I am sick. Something is wrong here. And I need to get better. There's no doctor who can can help you when you're not willing to admit your illness. That's why doctors so often make us go for those checkups. Most of us don't really like those things, but a lot of us don't really want to admit anything's wrong. And so at least if we're going every six months or every year or every ten years or whatever it happens to be, that they can at least keep tabs on something has changed physically here and that could mean something is wrong. If you have a burden on your heart, if you have a burden on your soul, the first thing you must be willing to to do is admit it and say, I'm sick. Step number two is to find the great physician. A couple of Sundays ago, Sunday mornings ago, we talked about that woman who touched the hem of the garment of of Jesus Christ. We said a couple of times in that sermon, as you may remember, that Jesus was the only one who could heal her. Luke made that clear, and obviously just we understand that from what the healing was. But that is true, that Jesus is the only one who can bring healing. That is true to any of us who have a burden. It's true of any of us who have a sin. At the end of verse 17 of Mark chapter 2, again, notice that Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners. Now think about what He had just said, what we just studied a moment ago. He had just compared sickness and wellness to being evil or being righteous or being away from God and right with God. In other words, Jesus did not come to help those who are perfect. Which means He came to help everybody. Because there aren't any of us who are perfect. He came to help those who are sick. He came to help those who are burdened. Remember the quote I shared a moment ago with you from Brother Doris? Here's the last couple of sentences of what he wrote in commenting on this passage. He said, The more complicated the disease, the more need there is for a skilled physician. Jesus was and is that physician. Some of you have faced times in your life when you had some illness or struggle and it felt as if you're being passed from one doctor to another and it got frustrating because you kept trying to see this person or I'll send you to that specialist, I'll send you to that specialist. But there's something found in that word specialist that's the reason you keep getting passed from one person to another. You want someone who can help with that disease. You want someone who can do that surgery, perform that surgery, who can help with that kind of therapy. You want someone who can help whatever it is that's hurting you, whatever it is that's ailing you. If you want your soul healed, if you want the burden of your heart lifted there is only one specialist and it's Jesus Christ I want you to notice some words found in Matthew chapter 11 there's some words that most of us know very well at least part of them but I want you to turn to that passage and notice the context because sometimes we notice the last three verses of this context without remembering what Jesus had just said prior to it I want to read together Matthew 11 starting at verse 25 I thank you father lord of heaven and earth that you have hidden these things from the wise and the understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious will. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. Now pause for a second. Jesus was saying there are some who think they're too wise. There are some who think they have all the understanding. 
And what he's basically saying is, I didn't come to help those people. They think they've got it all figured out. But for everybody else, notice his famous words. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. What is Jesus saying? In part, He is saying, I have to admit my sickness. I have to admit, I don't have it all figured out. But He does. And I'll come to Him. I'll come to the great physician. Because He's the only one who can provide the kind of healing that will heal a soul. Notice that Jesus does not say that everything is going to be perfect from here on out. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. There is something there that's still going to require work. But Jesus will lighten the struggle. Jesus is the only one who can step in and bring the help that we so desperately need. In that opening story I shared with you, Esmond Green was in the right place to find healing, you would have thought. There was medical staff everywhere. But for some reason, they refused to help her in that time of real crisis in her life. That will never happen with Jesus Christ. If I come to Him for healing, He will heal. He will lift the burden. Notice again, all who labor and are heavy laden. Not some. Not a few. Not an elite class. All who labor and are heavy laden. What other physician could ever say, I'm going to treat every patient on the face of the earth? Now, I don't know about you, but I really wouldn't want that for my doctor. (laughs) Because they're going to be a little busy. And when I really need them, they're, they're not going to get around to me when I really need them in some moment of sickness or needing surgery or whatever. Jesus is all knowing, He's all powerful, He's ever present, and He's all compassionate. He can heal us all. He can be there for every one of us. Aren't you thankful that the Lord's invitation is open to everyone? In fact, the Bible even ends that way. Revelation chapter 22 and verse 17, the old King James translates it this way, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Whosoever. If I want my soul, the burden of my soul lifted, I need to find the great physician. Number three, I need to go to the hospital. Doctors can help, but we all need support at times to get through illness, to get through recovery. Even the most independent person at some point in his or her life is still going to have some time where they're sick enough or hurting enough where they need someone to help them with something. I remember visiting with a Christian lady a few years ago, and if I mention a name, some folks down here would know who I'm talking about because we've got some guests here from Lebanon Road. We're thankful they're here this weekend. But if I mention the name, they would know who I'm talking about. But I went to visit her in the hospital, and she told me, she's in her 80s at this time, and she told me that other than having her children, she had never been in the hospital except to visit other people. She had never been a patient other than delivering her own children. And then I remember us talking for a little bit about how she didn't like doing that and how she was independent and didn't like that she was in the hospital. And I remember her laying in that hospital bed and pointing to the chair I was sitting in and saying, I do a whole lot better on that side of the bed than I do on this side of the bed. And she was telling the truth. She was not a patient patient. She was not a lot of fun for those doctors and nurses. But she was right where she needed to be at the moment. She was there just for observation and they were able to give her a a treatment that helped her over time. She's doing fine today. 
But even if you never spend a single moment in a hospital, a physical hospital, there's going to be some time where you need support. You're going to be sick enough at some point where someone needs to bring you food, or where your house needs to be cleaned, or something needs to be done. Folks, we need to be able to go to the church, the hospital for souls, and know that our souls will be helped. We need to know that. It's actually for this point that I chose the story to open with of Esmond Green. Here was a woman right where she needed to be, and nobody was willing to help her. I never, ever want to see that happen here. Now, some people get defensive. Well, it doesn't happen. I'm not saying it does. But remember, I told you this morning to think only about yourself. And listen to me carefully. Do you individually do what you can to help all who have a burdened soul? Well, what if they sit on the other side of the auditorium? What if there's somebody who's fairly new and I don't even know their name? What if they've done something that I think is really, really bad? What if they've done something that hurt my feelings? If we're honest, too often those are the kind of barriers that keep us from really reaching out and being the place of safety for souls that we need to be. As a phrase that Paul used in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, the section he's dealing with is comparing the church to the body. In fact, some of our own young people and others, we heard at last leaders last weekend, used 1 Corinthians 12 because it, dealt, it fits so well with the theme of one and the oneness of the body. And you recall in that chapter, Paul was writing about how if one member suffers, you know, all are there, and you've got fingers and eyes and all this kind of weird, weird imagery there. But he says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 26, if one member suffers, well, there's a few who might hurt as well. That's not what my Bible says. It's not what yours says either, is it? If one member suffers, all suffer together. All suffer together. I don't want to change Scripture, but I think we can insert a couple of different words there and keep the same emphasis and the same teaching. If one member has a burden of his or her soul, all of us should be burdened. Not by sin, but by the way that person is hurting. Not a few of us. Not someone else in the same season of life. Not someone I just happen to sit closely to. Not those who have struggled with a similar, not only those who have struggled with a similar burden. No, when someone says, I'm hurting, then each of every one of us has a responsibility to do what we can to hurt with that person. No qualifications given. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Romans chapter 12 and verse 15. Hasn't it been wonderful? The last few weeks where we've had several people respond to the Lord's invitation. Some stating specific things they needed us to pray for. Some just stating in general, I'm hurting. Or, I'm going through a difficult time. And what a joy it has been to pray with them. And, and, and what a great, I've said this in the bulletin a couple of times, you're probably tired of reading it. But hasn't it been wonderful to see so many, when the services are over, those few minutes later, come down here to give a hug, to give a handshake, to just say, I'm praying for you, I'm here to help you. Or whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, just those few moments to, to give someone a pat on the back. Isn't that a wonderful thing? Two or three weeks ago, I don't, you may not have noticed this. You may not really care, quite frankly. 
I stopped going to the back of the auditorium when someone responds after the service. I started just staying down here with them. The elders didn't ask me to. No one said anything. Here's why I did it, if you did notice. When someone comes down here and is willing to say, I want to be baptized, or someone is willing to say, I'm hurting, I need prayers, I don't want to walk back there and give the impression that when the services are over, we should be leaving because we should be right down here with them. These doors should not swing open for quite some time because all of us should feel that burden together. But I don't know what to say. Folks, I don't either. Some of you have been down here. Sometimes all I say is something like, glad you came. (laughs) Or, "Mm -mm 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 mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. Sometimes I don't know what to say either. But if you've ever been the one sitting down here, it didn't matter what was said. It mattered that someone was there. And what a joy to look up and see a line down every row waiting for a moment to give a hug, to say I care, and to say I'm going to pray with you. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. That starts the moment someone sits on this seat or this seat or this seat or this seat. We should be the first place anyone can go. And it doesn't matter what someone has done. It doesn't matter what I think someone has done. If someone admits a burden, comes to Jesus for healing, and is courageous enough to say, I need the help of my brothers and sisters in Christ, then all of us need to be the hospital. If you're burdened this morning, know that this is a place that will help. Oh, we're not going to be perfect because we're people. But we're going to do our best. We're going to give you the strength that we know how to give. We're going to take your burden before the Lord in prayer. We're going to give you a hug. We're going to try to help in any way we can. Step four, you need to follow, you need to go the invitation song for some strange reason. You need to go follow the prescription. You go to the doctor, maybe even stay in the hospital to get help. But if you don't follow through with what the doctor says, long-term healing is never going to come. Sometimes we only want a quick fix. Sometimes we only want to salve our conscience instead of really finding the help that will make a true difference. You know, study after study has shown that people who even go through things like open heart surgery do not, do not change their eating habits or whatever other habits it were that led them to that point and often, most of the time, end up worse than they were before the surgery. Happened. That's the most common outcome after a few years. They had the surgery, but nothing really changed. You can come to Jesus... And yes, He will heal. And yes, we're going to help. But He's going to require something of you to make a long term, in fact, an eternal difference. In other words, you cannot come to the doctor on your own terms. If He's the great physician, He will tell you how to be healed. Did you notice in Matthew chapter 11, take my yoke upon you? There's something there that requires work. In Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 to 45, Jesus told a very interesting parable. I'm not sure I understand everything about this parable, but I do get the main point. 
He said there, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places, finding rest, but finds none. And then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds uh, finds the house empty, swept, and kept in order. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits, more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. So also will it be with this evil generation. Now, I don't understand every last thing about that parable. I'll readily admit that. But I get the major emphasis. Someone responds to the Lord. They feel better because we've prayed with them. But then they go back out into the world, and if someone has not filled that hole in their soul with good things, temptations are still real. They're still going to come. And if I don't replace what was wrong with me with something that is good, it's going to be harder than it was before. That's why Jesus said in the parable that the, the empty space or the house was swept, uh, empty, swept, and put in order. Have you ever noticed it doesn't say it was being lived in? It looked pretty. Everything was all in the right place, but it wasn't being used. When I respond to the Lord's invitation and I'm baptized, or when I as a Christian return in faithfulness and, and I'm restored and I, I pray and, and I feel better because of that, do I, di- do I then go out and just expect everything to be okay just because? I need to fill my life with the Word of God. I need to fill my life with prayer. I need to fill my life with Christian fellowship, being around brothers and sisters in Christ. I need to fill my life with thoughts of God. I need to fill my life with doing good for others and serving them. I need to fill my life with further repentance when I fail at times, because I will. I need to fill my life with reaching out to others with the Gospel. That's the prescription that the physician has given us. Only by following that will my soul truly be filled. I wish I could tell you this morning that there was a different ending to the story of Esmond Green. I wish I could tell you I just made it up, that I was that good of a story writer that I could just make that up. I wish I could tell you that it's a little bit dark, but someplace actually ran that as an April Fool's joke, but I can't. That's a real story. It's a true story. A woman right where she needed to be and near those who could help her the most died basically because no one cared. If your soul was burdened this morning, I want you to know two things. Number one, Jesus will heal because He cares. And number two, we will help because we care. What is the worst thing somebody could ever do? We, we, we try to sometimes have categories of sins. Or what's the worst? What? Murder. That, that has to be the, the worst thing somebody could ever possibly do. God could never possibly forgive someone like that. May I remind you of a man named Saul? We know him better as Paul. Who came to Jesus and had an Ananias there to help him. Okay, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something, and I don't use a loaded word on purpose, maybe it's something like rape. I mean, that's awful. It's, it's just awful even to consider, to think about. Maybe it's something like that. I mean, God could never possibly forgive anything like that. May I remind you of a man named David who used his throne to what most scholars suggest royally rape Bathsheba. But when he came to God and had a Nathan, he was forgiven. 
Well, maybe it's not anything like that. Maybe it's, maybe it's being a Christian and then denying Jesus Christ. I, I just turn from it. In a moment of weakness, or in a moment of temptation, I just turn away from it. May I remind you of a man named Peter? I don't know him. I don't know him. I don't know him. And yet when he came to Jesus again, and throughout his life was surrounded by the apostles, he became a pillar in the church. Big, small, whatever you think, whatever it is that's burdening burdening your soul, if you're honest, it feels like your soul was chained. And it feels as if God can't or God won't forgive. That's exactly what Satan wants you to think. But if you will admit your sickness, your sin, if you will come to the great physician, if you will let us help you be the hospital for your soul that you need, and if you will follow the prescription that Jesus has given, your soul can be free. Whose soul needs to be free? Don't think of anyone else. Think of yourself. And if you need healing by the great physician, we ask you to come to Him as we stand and sing to encourage you.